Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode three. Today, we're going to talk about microphones, microphone preamps, compressors, interfaces, everything that is my medicine these days. All right, let's roll. I have Matt Buckner with me today. Matt, let's tell him what your official title is. Um, I'm the head of business development for the Americas for Sennheiser and Neumann. I love that. Are you from Tampa? No. No, I grew up in Texas. I was born... Which part? Uh, near Austin, a little town that people know the name of now but didn't when I grew up there uh, called Round Rock. It's now Dell headquarters, so everybody knows oh, where kidding. Round Rock, Texas is. So everybody's going to Austin now, the yeah. tech people. Yeah. They're moving from Cali and going to Austin. Yeah. I'll tell you, Austin is unrecognizable from the Austin I grew up in. Oh, I'm um, sure. And, you know, this was – the reason I left Austin is because when I grew up there – if, you know, you'd go up and down 6th Street and it would be Stevie Ray Vaughan and Eric Johnson sure. and guys Wait, like Eric that. Johnson's from there? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so We're talking Cliffs of Dover, Eric yeah, Johnson. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Sound. Yeah. So that was, you know, I am a very tiny guppy with a bunch of giant fish, sure. a bunch of giant sharks in this town. I got to get the hell out of here because I'm never going to make it as a musician in, in Austin, freaking Texas. So Right. Oddly, I went to California first, which was, you know. <laughs> How ironic, right? Exactly. I was like, well, this was a giant mistake. And then this was the 80s, you know. So I didn't sure. actually, there was no internet to consult, um, no Google to figure out my path in life. So I knew there's a big music scene in Hollywood. So I went out there of and course. obviously got my ass handed to me very quickly and had to hightail it back to Texas to regroup for a minute and then as soon as I saved up enough cash, I I went to Florida for no other reason than there was beach there. I mean, that was... And the was, cost of living. Ex exactly. There was a lot of there. attractive things mm -hmm. about Florida. But I also thought probably a little easier to get a gig in Florida. And then I come here and literally, like my first couple of months in town, people that I had just seen on MTV are playing in bars in Tampa. Right. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> the same thing just happened, you know. I saw I saw Stranger. I saw uh, Bleeding Hearts. I saw, you know, De Erasmo was a huge band at the time, Dave Erasmo. Really? So, yeah, huge band at the time. What? Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, so that was what I was seeing. And I was like, oh, man, here I am, you know, I, trying to be a big fish, and I'm just a tiny guppy again. But So tell everybody what you, you sing, guitar. No, I'm, Guitar player who also plays bass. Right okay. now, I think everyone would know me as a bass player because okay. I've, uh, you know, I put my ego down and I picked up a bass. <laughs> so do you still play around town or yeah. for fun? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, you know, I was playing quite a bit um, right before COVID. And then, okay. uh, you know, COVID obviously had a devastating effect on the live music scene. And I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends um, suffering, you know, trying to make ends meet. Oh, yeah. try, and I didn't want, when the gig started coming back, I didn't want to be a competitor to them. And, sure. and the band I was in at the time, all of us had good day jobs, right? So gotcha. we didn't need 
to supplement our income by gigging. So we kind of made the conscious decision when those calls came in, you know, hey, we're firing back up again. You want to play Saturday or whatever? Right. We were like, no, let let the people that need it, let our brothers yeah. that do this for a living 100% of the time make that money. And then I kind of went into this, you know, things got busy with work, you know, obviously. just And you were doing the Sennheiser stuff? I was stuff? still doing Sennheiser okay. at the time. And so when live music came back, obviously, things got really busy on the Sennheiser side of things. And I just, you know, it got further and further away. And then remarkably, right when I thought, you know, oh, I haven't played a gig in two years. I think that's it. I think I'm done. Mm -hmm. My buddy called me and he's like, hey, you want to you want to fill in on Friday? And I was like, <laughs> right. and I said yes, because one, I really, really wanted to play music with live music with my friends again. And I and it also scared the hell out of me because I was like, I don't do I even do I even remember how to play bass anymore? Sure. Do I know? Can I remember any of the songs? So, and of course, it was great. I mean, I remember telling Lamangelo about it, like asking him for, you know, do you have charts on any of these songs on this set list? Like, can you? And he's like, what are you asking me that for? Like, yeah. you got this. And I was like, I don't, I do not think I got this. <laughs> <laughs> so was it easy to get back? It was great. It was a lot of fun. It was really cathartic for me. It was probably, you know, it really felt like, like whatever percentage of my life had been missing was put back. Like yeah. like my heart was full. Yeah, yeah. From from sure. one gig, man. It was like it that's was great. really cool that. Yeah, I mean that's you know Ronnie said on the uh, episode you did with him. It's like there's us and there's them, and that's what it is, right? When you're a muso, it's you know people have often said it's like man you're so lucky you've always known what you wanted to do with your life and I'm like I don't know if that's luck like that's yeah. oh, that's a curse kind of right it's like I'm only good at this right <laughs> I only care about this sure. I'm not you know so we all know this is not an easy way to make a living right especially now right I it mean keeps you know. getting harder right I mean yeah like Ronnie said you know the musician's worth is <clears throat> being lessened. Mm -hmm. all the time you know it's it's a tragedy really that our you know that work product is now essentially free you know and then the antithesis mm -hmm. of it too is that thankfully you have the turing mechanism to turn back on to try to make a living on that and then everyone's like i can't believe you know the gall of this artist for charging me so much to buy a ticket to his concert right. and I'm, it's like you did it you yeah. don't pay for his album anymore that's why your ticket is you know, hundreds of dollars instead of 50 bucks. Yeah, it's a love-hate for me because streaming is so easy. Yeah. And you have the entire world's catalog of music on your phone. Yes. Which I really like that. Yeah. But you're right. Nobody buys anything. There's no income. And I say it all the time. I would never want to try to make it in a band in today's environment. All right, so let's go to Sennheiser mm -hmm. and Neumann. Mm -hmm. Two of my favorites. Obviously, everybody loves them. There's Neumann, there's Sennheiser, there's Shure, mm -hmm. which are the staples, I think. You know, the SM57, your 421 on the toms mm -hmm. and snare. Um, and then, obviously, Neumann and the 87. Right. Um, the fabled U87. I was reading up on the... <laughs> 87 and mm -hmm. what the 67 was ahead of that yes. if i remember correctly correct 
and then they wanted to get away from tube and did the 87. Mm -hmm. Then there's the vintage 87, and then they went to the A, and mm -hmm. then the AI. Is that the mm -hmm. That's right? correct. That's right. So it's like people either love it, or they say, oh, it's not that great. Right. Like they want right. to find something wrong with it. Yeah. So I, every time that I speak into an 87, it fits my voice absolutely perfect. And in one of the conversations I had with you, I felt like it was the screen, mm -hmm. the mesh right. Right. that filtered my voice right. the way it should be filtered. Right. You know, so everybody is chasing the 87 and you know warm audio mm -hmm. everybody and they never can quite get there mm -hmm. there are some companies that are very very close mm -hmm. and you can get by but i still think that you can't you'll never get it and is it the mesh of the screen the capsule i mean all of those things have something to do with it but what is it that makes that microphone have that particular sound that nobody can ever really fully match? No, and that's a great question and obviously an often asked question. And I think you're right. It's all of those things, right? And part of it too is folklore. Like these are legendary stories behind this microphone, you know, there's a, and behind these companies. Sennheiser is a, what, 75 year plus old company yeah. now. Neumann is Fritz? over 90. Fritz Sennheiser. Professor Fritz Sennheiser. Yeah. Um, you know, Jorg Neumann. So these are, you know, uh, family-owned and operated companies. They have that rich legacy, and these were innovators and pioneers, and they were doing things that no one had ever done before. And to a level, you know, when you say German engineering and it carries that weight to it, there's a reason for that, right? I mean, they Well, do, same with cars, they, Exactly, right? right. There's, it's a, it invokes an image of perfection and a level of quality that's unsurpassed craftsmanship, technology, right. all of those things. And I think it's a it's pieces of all of that piled onto each other. And and some of it is very subjective in nature too, where, you know, and let's remember too that a lot of the applications that we've found for these microphones now were never the intended purpose for them then, right? right. Well, so, so I read this, what is it, this uh, CMV3, which mm -hmm. is the first, what did they call that? The Neumann bottle. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you familiar yeah. with that? I am. I mean, but in the in the same way you are, right? right. I mean, we uh, there's so much history, and we we actually have when we when you go to Berlin and you go to uh, Wiedemark, Germany, where the offices of each each company are based. Um, it is like there's like a bit of there's like timelines on the walls and things giving those history lessons and display cases of examples of these microphones of these gotcha. that are so, yeah you know, that's cool we're 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 creating our own archive and there's missing pieces to those archives too that you know I remember Daniel Sennheiser had a trip to New York recently and he uh, one of our stops they uh, it was at Carnegie Hall and they showed him they're like hey look at this and he's like. I don't even have one of those. Yeah, that's right. not, you know, you have something that's missing from our collection, from our archive, um, which is fascinating. I mean, and, and really cool to be, to, to have the privilege to represent a company that, that is, has such a rich history and legacy to it. So did you go over there yourself? Have you been over there? I have, I have several times. Yeah. So is it like, um, 
it would be like a fan of Ferrari going through the factory that's and exactly, seeing all the cars. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly like, what I it would is. really get off on you that. You would freak out. You would enjoy it exactly as much as I do. I mean, just seeing, yeah, seeing someone with a white lab coat on screwing really? a, a screw into a large diaphragm microphone, you're just like, <gasps> Like, yeah. So there really is obviously a science behind it. You know, Definitely. everything, the how the way the air goes through the mesh, yeah. the way it, you know, I mean, and take away any of that and the whole thing collapses. Neumann now has a certified repair process that you can take your vintage Neumann microphone and bring it back to spe- factory specification. Um this is something that we found interesting was that people obviously were like, oh, I would love you to take my cherished vintage Neumann and return it to factory spec. But then when we get under the hood of it, we go, oh, man, the membrane is not the original membrane. Somebody replaced this. Because the membrane obviously shrinks. The material, it it shrinks over time, tears, and then you have to replace it. Somebody says, you know, I can do that for you. And, you know, in a, in a period of what, 60, 75 years that this microphone's been alive, you don't know who's touched it. And obviously it's Water only damage big, exactly or whatever. whatever has happened. Yeah, DNA, you know, sure. those things that have their effect on it, um, improper use and hand, you know, how many times has it been dropped in its life? Things like right. that. And then to return it to factory spec. And give give it back to them, and you know it's it's the same as you could say to a guitar. You know, it's like if that's been your guitar and that's been your, uh, you know, an extension of your hands for however many years, and you give it to a a luthier, you you know, you take your your Gibson back to the Gibson factory, and they put it back to their factory specification. Are you gonna Are you gonna like it when you get it back? Sure. It's like okay, it's everything is perfect now. It's factory spec here, no. and you go, oh man, I don't you think ruined so. it. You I'll like bet you that where's wouldn't. the mojo, right? I mean, my Les Paul on yeah. the wall, seventy nine yes. yep. standard, and there's no way it would be as good. It wouldn't feel as worn in right. and comfy. Exactly, probably wouldn't sound the same. But if you found out, and I, there's tons of stories about this, where you know. If it was, if you're like, don't touch the playability aspect of it, but make sure that the electronics are functioning properly, maybe they find out, hey, this capacitor has been bad for we don't know how long, and they replace it, and you go, oh, there it is. Okay, like, that was sure. the missing thing. Or or your your pickup, your neck pickup has lost its magnetism, you know, and so there's no real output, and you go, oh, there it is. I think that's what, because, you know, obviously I was involved in some of these processes where they you know, that's a big deal. I mean, I, I take ownership of the fact that someone's going, okay, here's my mic. I'm entrusting it to you right. guys now. Mm-hmm. And then a month later, we're like, okay, it's done. Here <laughs> it is. And you're like, you kind of stand back. You're like, I yeah. hope he likes it. Sure. And then they're like, man, that is incredible. That's amazing. Or like that, I didn't even know what was wrong with it before, but it's back. And it's like, you know, it's always like to the you know, <gasps> yes. I had no idea what I was yes. missing. And on that point is also, for example, Teletronics LA-2As. Mm-hmm. Each one, they say the old school ones, each one has its thing. And if you find a good one, never get rid of it. Right. Because you may not find it again. Exactly. The first Candlebox record was recorded 99.9% with a late 80s, I think it was... Or still is, I have it. Um, 
Les Paul classic, uh-huh. not a custom, right. a, a, just classic. a classic. Yeah. And every time you I just pull broke that my heart, guitar, man. it wasn't that one. No. <laughs> every time I pull that guitar out and I plug it in and start playing those songs, I go, "There it is." There it is. Right. And it's not the same with that guitar, right. for example. You know, and there's something about an instrument, a microphone, mm-hmm. a microphone preamp, right. compressor. Those are the beautiful, wonderful, glorious things that I love now. Yes. yes. I love compressors, preamps, yeah. microphones, you know. So, for example, the 604 is the clip-on little microphone, and that is kind of a more modern based on the 421, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that so that's true? Uh, well, I don't want to get caught in a lie there either. I mean, sure. You're, yes. Let's I mean, that's yes. kind of yeah. a more, um, here, you can clip this on instead of have Because, you know, the 420s ones are amazing. Yeah. But that 604 on a Tom is fantastic. And, and you just clip it on. Yeah. You know? And so the 604, I mean, so that is a different series um, the Evolution series of microphones really was Sennheiser's first attempt historically at hitting a an accessible price point for uh, the consumer, right? Because before, and I remember, I'm sure you remember this, it was like you'd walk out of the music store and go, you know, I wanted the 421, yeah. but I couldn't possibly afford sure. the 421. So. You know, I don't want to. I can't say that we introduced that to take the place of, but it was definitely the whole evolution series of microphones was designed to get into that price point, okay. and and so a lot of that was um, based on the assembly process, and that and that it could be there was less handwork involved in it. Well, there's certainly less physical. Um property, if mm-hmm. you will, because yeah. it's size. So let me ask you about the 421. <clears throat> People argue that older ones, 80s, early 90s, whatever, how far back did those go? Into the 70s or was it yeah. 80s only? Yeah, I mean, I thought, yeah. So they say, oh, the older ones sound better than the new ones. Right. And I want to believe that. Yeah. And right. I went and searched out older versions. Mm-hmm. But these days, unfortunately... With the sampling, it almost makes no difference. Well, and let's let's think about why it sounds different too. So if you know you are comparing what we already talked about, if you've got a vintage 421 and a brand new out of the box 421, there's things you know that have happened to that other the vintage like 421, guitar? right? It's worn in. Well, but also the DNA aspect of it, okay, and sure. so I would say if we took a 421 and put it back to factory spec and then compared it to a 421 brand new out of the box that you would probably, it would sound clearer. Like I I think it's the, why does it sound the way it sounds? Is that because there's, you know, uh, some, some funk on the windscreen or something that's doing some filtering that you're unaware of, you know, I mean, but I, I agree with you that you want, um, you want it to be that way, right? You, so part of it is your brain going like, Oh, you know, and very rarely do you get a chance to AB, you know, obviously in the manufacturing process and when we do a reissue, we do the ABing. We want to get it as close to perfect as possible. In fact, you know, I think we do an excellent job of that when, we, when you see, uh, you know, and historically speaking too. So 
in theory, you know, I say a 935, for example, a mic that's been around for 20 plus years, um, that I have a 20 plus year old 935 and I have a brand new 935. The guts of it, the manufacturing process, all of that, that's exactly the same, right? So component-wise, everything else. So that's our point. It's not that, you know, it's always getting it accurate how much attention to detail is paid by Sennheiser and Neumann. So, you know, it's – I wouldn't say that you could say this about a lot of other manufacturers that pay this much attention to detail and even that it's even appreciated by the end user where they're like, you know, if I said that the – manufacturing process and the place in the uh, Wiedemark factory that, that Evolution Series microphones is made hasn't even been moved because you would have to recalibrate the machine. Does that matter? I mean, because how many times is it going to be like, well, I bought a 935 15 years ago. This one had better sound exactly the same. Right. Nobody actually cares about that, do they? They want a new microphone. I mean, if you've got, you know, I went out and bought a new microphone. It's almost disappointing for your old microphone to sound exactly like your new microphone, <laughs> it's right? Because to be vintage it's new. and new. This is yeah. all crispy, clean, and new. Yeah, sure. But those, that's the attention to detail that is paid, historically speaking, to component-wise, everything. And again, to the Sennheiser process and the Neumann process, it's matter of fact. It's baked in where you say, well, why don't you just move that machine over there so that we could – it would make more sense, And but because we would have to recalibrate it. And sure. that would change things, and we don't want to change anything. Fair enough. So that's that's the cool part. Now, other companies might go, well, it's in the way. Move it. And then, well, you know that mic's not going to sound like the ones we made before. I don't care. It's so like, <laughs> is Sennheiser and Neumann that critical about it? Like they're very – Oh, yes. <laughs> I think that's amazing. I do too. I love that. Yeah, um, me too. You know, all the work that's gone into some of the uh, reissues of the mics is really into sourcing components. So the 87 and the 421, both are used on the toms. People love them both. And I feel like if there's not a dent from a drumstick, <laughs> you have not used the microphone. <laughs> because I, had, I have four 421s, and they were a great shape. You know, maybe some of the paint off the screen. Yep. And uh, a band came in here, and lo and behold. Stick marks everywhere. But it's like, at first I was like, man, you know, you're thinking, like, that sucks. Yep. But then I'm like, you know what? That's a microphone. Right. That is a yeah. used microphone for a rock and roll band, and I'm okay with that. I, well, and that's what I think, too, where, you know, we could have the same conversation about guitars, where that's that's a tool, it breaks my heart when I go to a museum and I see a guitar in a glass case hanging on the wall, untouched, no fingerprints. It's like that was not its intended use. It's not artwork. It's a tool. It's like having, you know, and a microphone the same way. They're beautiful and you don't want them to be damaged, but they're built obviously robustly enough to where they can take a stick hit and not completely shatter. Especially the 421. It's built like a tank, obviously. Yeah. That's And so... But yeah, it's heartbreaking at the same time. It, it's like, but that is its intended use. If you're going to mic a tom with it, someone's probably going to hit it with a drumstick. Let's move to the merger a little bit of Neumann purchased Sennheiser, correct? No. Or they the just... The other way around. Oh, okay. So, so what had happened, and you know, 
I will put a big asterisk in front of this. Essentially, the the story goes that that when uh, Jörg Neumann passed away, his family did not want to be in the microphone business, but they did want the founder's legacy to continue. Um, so it wasn't a matter of hanging a for sale sign on the door and seeing who would pay them the most money. They wanted somebody to entrust that legacy sure. to that would look after their of the course. founders smart exactly as they would. And uh, you know, it seems extremely obvious that of course Sennheiser is the perfect one. Are they in the to same town? That. No, 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 but they're very close to each other. Okay. So Wiedemark, Germany, and Berlin okay. are are a drive, a train, a train yeah, sure. trip from each other. Um, so yeah, it's. But again, they are kept. It's that was another important thing is that you don't want to dilute the brand. You don't want to dilute either brand, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to say Sennheiser slash Neumann. It's so they, they are kept two it separate, but they're owned by. Absolutely. So let's talk about these speakers that we have here at yeah. the studio. Yeah. They are small, mm -hmm. but they feel and sound big, especially with your subwoofer. And these are electronically tuned. They do it themselves, correct? Mm -hmm. Well, with with the aid with their internal DSP and the aid of the measurement microphone, yes, yeah, yeah. which I thought was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Ronnie's room has the little tiny guys, yeah. and I can't believe how they sound. Right, really great. So tell me quickly um, what it is about the speakers that gives them that width. Mm -hmm. It's well, there's a ton of technology that goes into that, um, and I think that that's something. You know, and people listen with their eyes, right? I mean, KH80s are that secret weapon where, you know, you see them. I've had guys going, I don't, don't even bother plugging those in. I don't want to listen to that. Because of the size? They're just too little. They, right. can't, they can't sound good. And then they hear them and they go, how is all of that coming out of that little yeah. thing? And it is the technology that, you know, and obviously being able to tune each monitor to sound to have the same sound signature as the other monitors and also being tuned to sound the same as the NDH30 open back headphones. So, mm -hmm. but imagine that, I mean, again, it's more like being solution driven where you're like, here's a problem, let's solve it. How come when I go from, you know, my studio to my home studio to the subway train in between, mm. everything sounds different and I end up remixing and remixing and remixing or having to reference different speakers or go out and bounce it down to the car stereo or, or listen to it on my iPhone and every mix sounds different. Sure. And then suddenly with the Neumann KH monitors, you don't have to do that anymore. So which model is the tiny ones that Ronnie KH80. has? KH80. Okay. So those would be absolutely perfect for in the bedroom guy. Definitely. I mean, unbelievable. Absolutely. So it's funny you said the car test mm -hmm. because I don't do it anymore because I don't really trust the car right. anymore. <laughs> but I remember that's you, what I did. You had to. I, right? I don't know how many <laughs> CDs I burned right. in order to go to the car. Yeah. The, what is it? The 412? The little tiny microphones? That Lamangelo borrowed? The MCMs, miniature clip mic. He put one of those inside the kick drum. Yep. Facing Famously, to the shell. I know. I couldn't Isn't believe that crazy? it. It was amazing. It sounded massive. Not even facing at the beater or the hole, but right. towards the shell. Crazy. And it was a great combination. I remember him A B in those tracks for me too, and I was blown away and thinking the same thing. I'm like, 
that he's like, you know what I did? I faced it away from the, and I was like, that. He said it was too harsh the other way. Yeah, yeah. So the first three Candlebox records were tape. There was yeah. no Pro Tools. Two and inch, one inch? Two inch tape. Awesome. London Bridge was awesome. the first two. I remember the engineer that I went to high school with, his name was Jonathan Plum, and he literally took the razor blade to yeah. the tape. And I thought, oh man, That's dude, so be careful. Cool. I know, you know. Like, <laughs> and he did it perfectly. Yeah. And he had the, you know, he grabbed the reels and yeah. found, found it. It was like it, art. It, it was amazing. It was an art. It absolutely was an art. Yeah. And a lost art now. I'm sure there's... But would you want to do it? No. No well, way. I don't... I wouldn't want to do it. But you remember when digital hard drive recording came out and the and everyone spent so much time trying to get it to sound like tape again. It's like now it's not warm Are you talking about anymore. the ADATs? Yeah. When with the, the Elisa's ADATs, ADATs with the VHS the first, tapes? Yeah. The first, Do you remember those? Yeah, absolutely. So our third record was with uh, Ron Nevison. And he got so frustrated because they wouldn't lock to yeah. the, they would go past the marker, go, vroom, 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 vroom. he'd be like, what is this? He was so mad. But you know, that's just like one step closer to the fully digital. Right. And, and the other thing is, is we were in a studio and in the closet was this massive, tall, piece of hardware yep. looked like a printer almost yeah. it was but even bigger yep. and he was like guys check it out you can put tracks on this yep. thing you know yeah it's a hard disk recorder it's, it was like you know we saw the start of it so yeah. and then by the time we did the into the sun record mm -hmm. it was full-on pro tools there was no tape yeah so you physically went through all of that yeah. all of that and i mean we all you know everyone that's our age well i even age. got to experience the cassette the tascams yeah, right four track yep. i mean you Who know just did the, butch walker just did not just but in the last five years did a little tascam four track recording cassette, mixed a whole album on it because he, he was just like for nostalgia's sake right. he's like this is what i used to use he like found it laying in the bottom of the closet brought it out and released an album on it. That's impressive. I did a band called Lotus Crush and we went to Robert Lang Studios in Seattle and we were going to be nostalgic and we did the first six songs through the tape machine yeah. and then back into Pro Tools. Right. And by the time we did got done with those, we were like, nah. <laughs> So the Let's next six songs, we just went straight to Pro Tools. Right. And you would never know. You, would never, you wouldn't be you able to tell. You just don't. Right. But if you did the whole record via two tape yeah. or two inch Back. into the board yeah. and not even Pro Tools, like right. straight up, I'm going to automate the Vader, fader myself. Right. right. It, I think it would sound different. However, I think it, would too. it just really depends on what the mastering guy does to well, it. That's also very true. Kelly told me a story about the... Um, Temple of the Dog record. Mm -hmm. He goes, if you could hear the mixes of that record before the mastering, you would be shocked. Wow. Yeah, I was, you know, and I don't know how different it is because I never heard it, but I thought, oh, wow, you know, it is very important. It finishes it. Yeah. You know? And I don't mind listening to rough mixes. I love rough mixes. You know, I love unfinished as much as the whole recording process i love all of it me too um yeah so I, there's no there's no bad to any of it you know i, I love to hear a, a trashy 
rough mix and uh, or a live cut, you know, just a, a rough cut, and then and then as it gets refined, um, yeah, there's tons and tons of stories of we tried to recapture the demo in the studio and couldn't, so we ended up having to try to figure out how to get the demo to sound good enough to match the rest of the record. Candlebox did that. Ta-da. The two <laughs> biggest songs of our career were the demos. So we far behind is Far Behind in You is remixed. Those are the demos. We re-recorded those for the record label, and they didn't sound nearly as cool. Because the magic? Because the because time, Because of place. the performance. Yeah. Performance is everything. everything. Everything, right. And I hear that. And again, I, it definitely translates. Like, I have no idea what the studio versions of those demos sounded like, but obviously you guys, somebody in the room, the producer, the engineer, you guys yourselves were like, it's not there, it's not right. Not the demo close. sounds better. There's ways to mix things and produce things to give it that. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately it always comes down to the emotion that is put into the take. Let's go back mm -hmm. to the mastering thing. Yeah, yeah. And it made me think of interfaces. Yeah. So <laughs> in this room, mm -hmm. I have Universal Audio. Yes. Great. Yeah. I love their setup. I love the Unison thing. The plugins are great. In Studio A, they have the Avid mm -hmm. interfaces, the mm -hmm. Pro Tools ones. So I did a session about two weeks ago, and it was a guy with an acoustic. Mm -hmm. And we did it in the A room, and normally I would do it in here. There was something about the mic pre's and the conversion right. of those interfaces right. to where... Is it a combination of all of the mics, the, the pre's and the conversion through the interface mm -hmm. that makes it different is why I noticed it? Or is are those interfaces better? Because people always argue Universal Audio's got the best, mm -hmm. you know, Avid's the best. So I have some Motu HD192's that are updated with the Black Line audio. Mm -hmm. And I've done drums in my old studio with those, and they turned out fantastic. Right. I don't know. Right. So you guys now yeah. have one. Yeah. What do you think is the comparative between all three? Yeah. Is there a, a diff? I mean, obviously, there's high-end converters. Mm -hmm. There's high-end clippers. You know, there's the Burl audios of the world. You know, studios around here have, like, everything. Yeah. Like, they yeah. have everything. Yeah. How do you feel Neumann holds up with their new interface? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's the deal there? Why did yeah. they decide to go that yeah. route? That's several questions. But, yeah, the MT-48, obviously, our mission is in pursuit of perfect audio, right? So... Uh, the MT-48 was designed really to eliminate the anything that can happen between the microphone and and the recording, right, or the or the output, right. So, you know, we were dissatisfied with what would happen when you would put the microphone into any interface, right. So we kept saying, okay. We need the highest quality everything. We so need. let me stop. You're yeah. talking like if you took an 87 mm -hmm. and you went into a Vintech mm -hmm. or a, an API, mm -hmm. 
you felt that it wasn't getting what it should be out of the microphone and that you wanted to... No, not that. It was more coloration. So really what what I love about the MT-48 is now I have a 100% Neumann signal chain from the headphones to the microphone to the monitors. It's all Neumann and there's nothing coloring that. So that was that's the goal. And obviously we want the highest quality converters, processors, everything, um, the highest uh, uh, headroom, everything that, that could be available, anything that would limit the performance of that, um, and that's what we've that's what we've found with the MT48. Obviously, the interesting part about that, you know, when we decided we needed an interface, an audio interface, we of course looked at the market and looked at Universal Audio and everyone out there what they were already doing because mm-hmm. there was no point in reinventing the wheel. Right. Um, so we we looked at absolutely everything and what we found was that someone was already doing something very close and that was merging technologies Anubis mm. was industry leading on all of those categories. And so we approached merging and asked them if they would help us partner with us to build that interface. So we didn't, because we didn't have a team of engineers that were going, let's build an interface. Mm -hmm. So we went to merging and they were obviously excited to partner with Neumann on that. And that's how, that's how that partnership began. And now they are in the Sennheiser Neumann family. Merging technologies is, is wholly owned by the Sennheiser Group, which okay. is amazing. They helped us make the Neumann version, um, the MT-48, and obviously you've heard it. Um, have you heard it? No. Okay, you haven't heard it No, yet. I, I will try have it to make sure that I, would, I need you to evaluate it. I really I do, to. especially your critical ear is exactly, we need to, We I know that Lamangelo, I guess, hoarded it for himself. He did. <laughs> Wouldn't <laughs> let you see it. He was very impressed. Yeah, um, he said all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. So, so let me ask yeah. you, is it, it goes up to 96 and all that. Yes. And then can you chain him? Uh, that's a good question. I need so to find like, out the answer you, to that. So you have the single yeah. unit, yeah. right, which has two mic inputs, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if, if it turns out to where you guys love it, you could make an eight-channel rack mount sure, and start daisy-chaining sure, yeah. that. I definitely get a lot of people have asked, you know, how do I get more inputs, more inputs, more inputs, you know, and I'm like, well. Well, does it have light pipe? Yeah. So, so I could take a digital, Digimax right? or something and exactly. plug it in or whatever, exactly. focus right stuff and chain them? It's, you know, and we found it's amazing once you release a product and you get it out in the field and people start utilizing it, the use cases that have come up with this thing are amazing. And um, really, too, how people will immediately do, start duplicating it so it's it's a workstation but for them their workstation is I want one microphone one headphone done mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. they're and then they duplicate that and I'm like that's wow I wouldn't have you know you would think you would be like what I'm gonna max this one out and then yeah. go on and you know especially in broadcast they're like no this is this is a workstation this is a single person this is one microphone one headphone I got done. You. Um, and it's, you know, obviously it's broadcast quality. It's, it's recording quality. Yeah. So it's amazing. And, you know, they that's the solution that they need for that application. And it's obviously, too, the firmware upgrades, we're going to see expandability coming in. Well, what I would like to see, because I would just like to be able to mix something in the box yeah. using that yeah. to see what kind of width I mm-hmm. can get. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming in. 
Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, this, this is, is cool. awesome. <laughs> I love this kind of talk. Um, you know, is there anything else you want to add? Man, well, no. I mean, you know, thank you for for creating this content. I think that's important. I know that uh, you know. I always say I had my own podcast for a little while, and I, my tagline was always "The world does not need another podcast," but <laughs> the world does need guys like you having these talks and capturing that because I think that's really important. And I think that you know, I'd. I love I love the concept and I love what you're doing and I, I'm really honored to be on here. I'm not sure I fit in in the overall scheme of things, but I'm glad that you thought so. Oh, I love having you. This is thank what you. I love to do, and I was excited to tap in. So That's thank awesome. you for coming. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon on the Pharmacy Podcast. We'll see you.